Welcome in to another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey, and it's feeling feeling good today. Like it's the weather's kind of warming up. It's later in the evening and the sun's still out. Baseball's about to get started. And best of all, there are only 12 games left in the 2021-22 Chicago Blackhawks season. We only have three more weeks to deal with this season from hell. So, uh, so I'm feeling pretty good. And I've got all my linemates with me this evening uh, to talk about some more Blackhawk stuff because that's kind of what we do around these parts. So up first, the analytics darling of Second City Hockey you can find on Twitter at Shepard Price. It's Shepard Price. Hi. Uh, I hate to burst your bubble. Uh, the weather, uh, I wrote a report today. If it's if there's a chance of snow down here in St. Louis, there's yeah. uh, I got bad news for y'all just, there. I'm just gonna enjoy it because today was actually a fairly nice day. I'm gonna enjoy it while I can. I know it's gonna snow like later in the week because that's what happens. But then it's gonna get up in the 70s next week uh, yep. for the White Sox home opener. It's gonna be like 72 and sunny. So sign me up for that. Yeah, that's the that's the good news is that the White Sox are back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, the- and Gio Lito is the opening day pitcher again. Yeah, so we've got we've got things to to perk up at least the two of us. I don't know if that's going to work for the rest of the group because I think we're the only White Sox fans in here. But you know we're we're doing what we can, folks. Uh, also <laughs> with us this evening, he is a second city hockey. What Mark Knopfler is to Dire Straits again, still a little bit of an upper body injury, but we're glad he's able to join us this evening. You can find him on Twitter at Mill One Eighty Two. It's Mill Savage. I'm fairly certain the White Sox are about as real as birds are. Correct. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing via Twitter. Not well, my take. That's it. Well, if you ask ESPN, the 2005 World Series didn't happen, and and all those times that they would make Chicago sports uh, uh, checklists and shit, and they would forget the White Sox existed. So, well, to be fair, if the Blackhawks didn't win a bunch of cups and they did, then ESPN probably would have said none of the Stanley Cups ever happened either and ever. <laughs> Well, so there, there take, is that, take too. that as you will <laughs> for, for a while again, like g- going way back in the archives, but the only recognition that ESPN had of the Blackhawks for a while was when they named them the worst franchise in all professional sports. Although I will say they're working their way back towards it right now. Well, I mean, you know, all's, all, all's well, it ends well. Uh, time is a flat circle. I think is what we got out of all of that. Yeah. The Ottawa senators are a really bad franchise. But the worst thing they ever did was get caught talking shit about their coaches in a taxi cab. That's a, uh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, they also did have a logo that looked like Dion Phaneuf. That was pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, was wasn't it wet wild? Dion Phaneuf was a senator. Pro, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So they got fine. Hey, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd take a, a logo you know what else? that looks like Marion Hosa. I was going to say the Ottawa Senators also drafted Marion Hosa, so they can't be a complete failure. <laughs> And That's number true. 12, I, I was just, I, I wrote about that thing for today because we're going to get into some Hosa talk later that Hosa was 12th in that draft. Portland Winterhawks legend, Marion Hosa. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, let's, before we get too far off the rails, let's bring in the other member of the group who's also with us this evening. Uh, she's not on Twitter, but you can find her at secondcityhockey.com under the name LBR, where she is the Second City Hockey Bull and Wall of Text. It's Betsy. Speaking of Marion Hosa, um, I... We had a couple of new employees. They're not new. She's new-ish, but she, um, we got to talking and randomly realized that we both love him. And <laughs> she has met him and taken pictures with him when he was on the Thrashers. And I was like, that was like low point Hosa, but still like awesome. I mean, he was still great, but like the Thrashers. 
the Thrasher. I mean, he scored a hundred points. He scored a hundred points of the Thrashers. That's yeah, because he pretty... was excellent. But the Thrashers yeah. themselves were never very good. Their jerseys were good. Um, that periwinkle color. Yeah, bad. their their logo was also really good. Yes, and also the name is really cool considering that's just a bird name, but also works way better than say Nashville trying to force Smashville. You know, like mm-hmm. they try to force hockey into their name because they're Southern and you're like, maybe don't. Um, also, also works a little bit better than Atlanta Flames considering Atlanta's history. Uh, that was the yes. point of the Atlanta Flames. Because <laughs> the Atlanta burned down. Well, all, all things considered, like I just said, birds are not real, so they had to relocate. <laughs> and change to a big mechanical bird, a jet. Well, and, and, and Shay, if you, the, uh, the Atlanta Flames were not a team you enjoyed, I hope you're not a Chicago Fire fan because... Uh, <laughs> I, I know. I know. That cow. This is yeah. the Leary's cow. Yeah. All right. Well, it, it happens to the best of us. We can't all have, uh, can't all have cool team nicknames, I guess. Um, I, I was trying to find some, some weird segue back to the Blackhawks with all of that, but uh, g- given this, this, the th- uh, controversies around the logo and nickname and all that, I'm like, let's, let's just take a, a step away from all of that and move on. Um, but the last Blackhawks game was, was it Monday night? Was it Sunday night? I don't know, but they lost to the fucking Coyotes. Uh, and I'm still, I'm still a little annoyed. I don't know how the three of you felt about that game, but there's something about that game just watching that, it, I think it's the way they lost the game because it felt like they were – the Coyotes are so bad. And I know the Hawks aren't good, but look at the Arizona roster. Look at the Chicago roster. Also account for the fact that Arizona didn't have their number one score and their number one defenseman and another one of their young studs. And just, I don't know, something about that game really really felt like a, a swift punch in the gut. So uh, I'm, I'm still steaming over that. But what I wanted to – uh, one thing that came out of that game that I wanted to talk about with the panel here is that the only good line that night was the Strom Kane and Debrinket line. And that's kind of been the case for the last month or so. And that got me thinking, if we do this whole rebuild thing that we're, the Blackhawks are embarking on, say we get to the end of the regular season and Kyle Davidson walks up to the podium and says, we're going to do this rebuild around the centerpiece of a top line of Dylan Strom, Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinket. If that happened, Shay, what would your reaction to that be? Uh, that's fine, as long as you sign Kane and Strom to realistic contracts. The problem is, like, again, are you going to actually ask 32, 33, 34-year-old Kane to take a, a, a discount, which is what he would need to do to stick around? Because he's valuable to other franchises. And this is right. been the next offseason problem. But also... Do you feel that those three make this team too good for a rebuild? Because the part of the part, part of the thing about a rebuild is you need to get high draft picks. They have those three. They have those three have so good to prevent them from sucking this year. Well, I was gonna I, say, I mean, but they're also not a, like a, a like low enough, arguably. Yeah, they're not, well, but, they're not but, bad enough. But the counter of that Shea is Dylan Strome's the number three overall pick. Patrick Kane's the number one overall pick. Alex Brinkett. Um, uh, was in the second round, but is playing like a uh, first round pick. And Seth Jones was a number four overall pick. And via his contract, he's not going anywhere. So like, I understand your point about, you know, you got to be bad at high draft picks, but you know, well, you already have yeah. the high draft picks here. Kane, but the problem is Kane in, in, in a five-year rebuild, Kane is, was a first overall pick more than a decade ago. True. That's it. Then by the time this rebuild is over, 
two decades ago. That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I just, I, uh, I keep trying to find d- different ways to look at what's going to happen next because like, again, we're, you know, we're just kind of, we're all waiting to see what happens, but I keep coming back to the, the idea with uh, like with Debrinket and Strom, well, and, and more Debrinket than Strom, but you know, that if you, if they go full rebuild, trade everyone away, you're going to be looking for a player like Alex Debrinket and Dylan Strom and Patrick Kane. So I, I get, I get Patrick Kane is not, is on the wrong side of 30 and not getting yes. any closer to 30, but I don't know. I just, it's, it just seems like there's, there's more than one way to do this rebuild thing. So that was another, uh, yeah. Out of mind. So let's, let's turn it around to Betsy and, and uh, same question to you. Uh, it's hard to even conceptualize that because I don't have faith that they're going to keep Strom. Like okay. their comments about him. And I can't remember if it was powers or um, Laz that kind of hinted at that. They're still going to shop him in the off season and stuff like that. And the way <laughs> King for some reason can never get a compliment out on him. He always has to tack on something like, but he, he has room for improvement. No shit, Sherlock. Pretty much everybody on the team does. But you don't <laughs> call anybody else out regularly. He doesn't call out the worst offenders regularly. He calls out – generally, he, he calls out decent players. But anyway, um, I digress. That's another I was I was waiting for you to get to that point because in our, in our Slack chat on uh, Sunday night and Monday morning, one of those uh, times, <laughs> Betsy was – Betsy was upset. You could tell by the the furious of the typing. Like I could hear it clicking away uh, several states across, but that she was, was not thrilled with those <laughs> comments from King. I was just so annoyed about it. And it's I fair. Love, it's understandable. I would love if Strom stayed um, and they continued to have at least one good line because even during a rebuild, you want to be able to like be entertained occasionally. You want to be able to like yeah. watch the players and have fun. Part of the reason the, the season with all the younger guys was fun is because it all felt like it might've been building to something. And then that all got shat on the next year, but still you felt like, Hey, maybe this could, these guys could be something you were seeing potential. Well, that's maybe not going to happen quite as much in the next couple of years. So I want to be entertained. I, I mean, I'm going to go to a, at least one game this year. And the only reason I want to go is because I want to see those three play, essentially. And, mm-hmm. you know, see, also, I, I think Radish looks pretty good. And um, I want to see, like, I think Jones has been great. Seth, not Caleb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be able to see, you know, those guys play too. But yeah, I, there's, like, an entertainment value that I, I think they need to keep a couple of good players. And as long as they're not signed to bad deals, which I think Kane, like his whole situation is he's debating on, does he want to try to go play with a contender or does he want to keep going for Blackhawks um, records? Yeah. If he wants to, if he wants to retire Blackhawk, like you said, he says he does make him, make him prove it and take a discount. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's kind of why I keep coming back to like, trains of thought that involve Patrick Kane still being here. And that's because it feels like he doesn't want to go anywhere. So he's, you know, unless the Hawks do some real magic uh, or, you know, convince him otherwise, like 
he's not going to leave town and letting him walk uh, in 2023 in free agency for nothing seems like the worst case scenario involving Patrick Kane. I'll say, I'll say that if, you know, they keep talking about how if they trade to bring it, Kane's gone or vice versa. I wonder how, what would, ha- what's like Strom's status would impact either one of them too, because Strom is really close to both of them. Um, mm. And Kane has lost practically every <laughs> hockey player that he's ever connected with. And several of them before, you know, like, they it wasn't they weren't necessary moves, you know they were like bad yep. timing moves. So it it's understandable when you trade when they had to trade guys like Boland or Shaw or whoever, but they just kind of gave up on Nick Schmaltz who Kane was really close to. They just kind of gave up on Hartman who Kane was really close to. Um, Panarin, Every other line mate he's ever had ever seems yeah. like yeah yeah pretty yeah. much and- so. Yeah, if if Jonathan Taves requests a trade this offseason, like everybody, like a lot of people think in Chicago, he might. And then Strom is also traded. Does Kane's math change? Because that might be the question. I don't think that Jonathan Taves leaving town would affect Kane as much. To be totally yeah, honest, but like they've, they've never, been, they've never really been line mates for the. I mean, no, there's been times. Nineteen eighty eight happened a lot. That was yeah. the, the emergency. It, well, that, that used that used to be, but I don't think. I mean, I don't know if that's been the emergency. No, yeah. Years. Um, but you know what? Before before we get too far away from the original question, let's bring in Bill for his thoughts on the uh, the idea of the rebuild being uh, fortified around a centerpiece of Strom, Kane, and Debrinket. Well, I definitely think it's a great line to have, but I think the question is, can you keep them together long enough where they'll be worth it when this team is good? Because who knows how long that's going to take. Um, but... I, I think the landscape of the league is shifting to where you have to have like two really good lines, a third line that can actually score. And now the fourth line is kind of like an older, like an old school, like checking line instead of like a shitty line, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's and like, that was kind of like the, the 2010 Hawks and their other good teams. And well, and maybe even Pittsburgh before them, but that's like the last 10, 15 years. That's the way the whole league well, has gone. Yeah, the, the Hawks kind of were part of that shift with them and, and Pittsburgh and L.A. And, and you look at the teams that were kind of ahead of the curve before them. You mm-hmm. know, they're faster than everybody and whatever. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's like a bad line to have, but I, I don't want to say build around because they do have to kind of figure out what their core is, even if it is, okay, Kane, Debrinkit, Jones, one more guy or whatever. But um, it, it's hard to say. I, I just... I kind of um, on LBR's trainer thought where I'm afraid they're going to get rid of Strom. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's definitely a good line to have. I really think if they could have like a really great, like a uh, uh, first line that could tilt the ice, I would still roll out Kane to bring it. Strom as number two to throw him out to score. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, I guess the equivalent of like the Tave Sharp and Hosa line from yeah, 2013 and then Saad Taves Hosa in 15. Like, mm-hmm. and, but that like the Hawks need three of those pieces. Like they don't have anything like that. I mean, maybe, maybe Lucas Reichel is one piece of that line, but then maybe, you need yeah, two other guys. Maybe Phil Kershaw under a, actual head coach <laughs> turns out to be oh yeah you know Phil we're, gonna, we're gonna we can maybe next week we'll d- do a deeper dive on phil kershev but that's like i think it seems like he's getting healthy scratched again for thursday's game against the kraken and it's just uh i think we talked about him maybe two weeks ago or maybe even last week about feeling like you know this team's supposed to be developing young players and that's one guy who like 
the exactly example of like oh they can't so <laughs> yeah. some like some, the fact that he's our new jeremy warren that we have a free fill oh, hey, please don't hey, do that hey, don't do that reese, reese johnson's playing oh, don't you love it Reese Johnson. Uh, Isn't he playing over Mackenzie Edsel at Whistle too? Like Mackenzie Edsel is a good definition of a young player. Which would be well, fine. yeah, I'll talk. I can talk more about my thoughts on prospects later because my whole I have an opinion about how they're handling Mike Hardman versus Reese Johnson. Um, well, yeah, let's we'll we'll get to that because we have a lengthy prospect discussion to get into. Uh, but yeah. I want to let Mill finish the point that yeah. like he is about to make. Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, when you look back at those Hawks teams and they kind of built, like, a really young core, Hosa was about 31 when they won that first cup, obviously signed on as a free agent. Kane's 33 now, so I'm not. they're definitely not the same type of player, but if Kane, who's clearly still very good, if he occupies that slot, and I don't think that the money or age thing would be a huge deal with him, per se, Uh but at the same time, it's like then they have Jones on that deal and they have, you know, it's it's hard because when they were winning, they had the guys on their first and second contracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just think that that's kind of a uh, they're going to have to do some mathematics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 kind of the thing about the modern NHL is that not only is every every good team, the 2015 Blackhawks, it's everybody has really good players on first and second contracts, especially in terms of depth. Well, and that's so the Blackhawks need. That feels like that's almost true in every sport these days. It seems like that once you get, you know, except for maybe the NBA, because I think their contracts are structured uh, structured differently or their entire league arrangement is. But like in the NFL, the talk is always you have to win while your quarterback is on his rookie contract, because as soon as he signs his next one, you don't have money for everybody else. So, I mean, they, <laughs> Matthew Stafford. To your boy, yeah, just yeah. that wrong. <laughs> well, okay. I think I, I think so. Something to take into consideration, especially with hockey, is guys get hurt. So, like in the NBA, they're willing to to bet on themselves for a one or two year deal. But when Seth Jones signed this monster deal, they offered him. He's thinking, well, I play hockey. If I get crunched, you know, I'm walking away with money. Yeah, because I can't play anymore after that. And and it's the unfortunate part of it is that salary cap will come get you. And and Mill, you while you mentioned this, I, I was starting to look it up about um, you know Kane's age and how old he's going to be when maybe the Hawks are good again. The player I always come back to is Marty San Louis because it's a similar like undersized player with really good offensive ability. And I mean, if you go back to the 2013 season, granted that was a little different because it was only the 48 games because of the lockout. Uh, San Louis led the NHL with 43 assists and 60 points in his age 37 season. So like, it's not, it's not unheard of for a player to be in mid late thirties and being, you know, still an unquestionable top line guy. So I, Boy, I, I guess, old? I guess that's a dose of optimism. If that's, uh, that's what you're kind of thinking. Well, Alex Ovechkin's 36. Yeah. There's another one. Also, so, does I mean, that mean Kane is going to become uh, the interim head coach of the Buffalo Sabres in like a decade and then the oh, full-time pro- head coach? Oh, probably. Sure. Why not? You heard it here first. Well, in 10 years when that happens, we'll run back this episode. But yeah, I, I, uh, that was, that was the main thing that's been trickling around in my head for the last, uh, two or three days after that game, because I, I don't, um, no, it's, it's just such a weird spot. Like there's a, there's a lot of question marks about where this team's going and who's going to be around for the long haul and all that. But, uh, how I, I, I just keep, uh, like I was, I did a really deep dive and I meant to write 
write this for an article. Maybe I still will at some point, but I was looking at all of the teams and this is like to Shay's point always about um, you needing high draft picks. But, and if you go to like every team that's been successful or that's won a Stanley cup in the last decade plus, they've always had high draft picks somewhere. Hawks had Taves and Kane. Uh, Tampa's had Hedman and Stamkos. And uh, there was another one in there somewhere that I'm forgetting. Uh, Washington had Ovechkin. Pittsburgh had Crosby and Malkin. Like the only exception I could find was Boston. And they won theirs like 10 years ago. And they just got really lucky with Bergeron and Marchand. So like it's, but I guess on the other side of that coin is, you know, Strom was a three overall. Kane was a one. Seth Jones is a four. So it's not like the Hawks don't have the type of top end talent that other teams have had and won the cup. It's just, you know, they're not, they're not with the teams that originally drafted them and they're not as young as some of those guys were when they won their cups. So, so that that's my story. <laughs> Otherwise we're going to have to start the uh, bus for Bedard bandwagon in the, in the off season. Well, I think like when you look at the landscape of those teams and just like the, the generation that came before them uh, with like New Jersey and uh, Dallas and Detroit and Colorado, like they all had these really good cores. Like even, even though C- or, uh, Keith was a second round pick, he was probably their best defenseman they've ever had. So the Hawks yeah. need to kind of build like a something to build around, not just one line, but we'll see where that goes. Yeah. I gotta- develop some players. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I guess like the the thing I, I keep like the comparison I kept drawing for is like when Pittsburgh was down for a few years. Granted, didn't go as far down as the Hawks did, uh, but and worked their way back up with some of the same pieces still intact. And even if you go to like really far back and go to Detroit, like they won their cups in the '90s and the early 2000s, and they snagged another one before the 2000s ended. But they also you know pulled a Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg out of like the fifth and sixth rounds. So uh, I don't like, you know, the Hawks pulled the Brinkett out of the second, but they don't really have any other guy, young guys that they developed that. Way. Yeah. Well, well, Detroit also would keep guys in the AHL until they were 30. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so they'd come up and they would be like fully grown men. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And Datsuk was famously a seventh round pick drafted to seventh. help another Russian, uh, uh, like basically as a translator. complete complete blind fucking luck and it's then he goes translate this watch these hands (laughs) one of the yeah one of the again one of the greatest players of all time yeah Uh, but it's um i i i thought that conversation would be a lot more fun than the last five games because they've lost five in a row like they went to florida we all knew it was going to be terrible they played the panthers and the lightning in back-to-back games got their asses kicked each night and then you're like, all right, they're coming home. They're facing the Coyotes. Maybe that would be a little bit better. Uh, and it wasn't. But uh, does anybody have any burning thoughts from the last week of Blackhawks hockey to get off their chest? I opted to watch grown men pretend to fight instead. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I swear. Well, I, and I, and I, grown I, women, but, you know. Speak, yes, grown speak, adults. Becky Lynch, shout out the GOAT. Uh, also, CM Punk, if you come for my precious boy, I will come for you. Good luck with that, Shay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> On the off chance he listens to, to this podcast. Oh, he does. He does follow the Second City Hockey Twitter account. So, uh, yeah. so does Calvin DeHaan, by the way, which uh, on Sunday morning, they had their practice at 930 in the morning or the morning skate at 930 a.m. 
And I tweeted that to Ben Pope and Calvin DeHaan liked it. I'm like, Calvin DeHaan is like, I, I feel like Calvin DeHaan is uh, a highly underrated, more enjoyable person. Like uh, professional athletes are so weird. I think he's so much closer to like normal non-professional athletes than most professional athletes are. And he that makes him like an enjoyable person. Such a nice guy. And I don't mean that Reese Johnson way. I mean, he's a good <laughs> player and just like, a genuinely good human. I liked when he didn't get traded. He kept saying, I'm still here. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like this might be the, uh, the last three weeks of Calvin DeHaan's time in Chicago because, uh, bringing him back after this season with, um, the 19 young players that they have in Rockford and elsewhere that are ready to play defense at the NHL level. Just or- move Stillman and, Caleb Jones and Gus out of the way at the very least. They have like they still have they have so many defensemen and like it's just there's not um like you and like two of them need to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, but like and, and, there, and there's so, go ahead, Betsy. I was just gonna say it's just so sad because Calvin DeHaan has has been the third best guy like consistently, and then the other like because you know Seth Jones has been really good. Um, I think most of the season. And then Murphy has been a little bit more Murphy. inconsistent this year than normal, but he's still Murphy. And then Calvin DeHaan has been like pretty steady. He has a couple of bad games here and there, but pretty steady. And then poor Jake McCabe is just he sucks. not doing well here. I, you <laughs> no, know what? Not like, at all. Like, so I, sad about it. Like we were, I was, uh, the more I read about him, the more it's like, and, and last summer when they signed him, I'm like, this sounds like the type of like defensively responsible guy that they have needed since Jalmerson left town and not the kind of Murphy hasn't been good, but just like a guy that you can trust to be in every defensive situation all the time and will be good at it. And uh, I it may, I don't know if it's the, like the knee injury that he's coming off of, or maybe it's just uh bad, <laughs> the, the yeah, I was, I'm, subpar coaching. Yeah. I'm not I was going to say like, Transferring like to this system players. has to be like the roughest transition in the NHL, like especially because he transferred to the Carlton system, and then Kings differentiated a little bit, but like not. Yeah, well, yeah it, just, it doesn't do Riley Stillman any favors either. I was and I was watching. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I was watching Toronto and Tampa the other night, and I think I tweeted it. I said like, "This looks like a completely different sport than <laughs> what I watch when the Blackhawks are on." Like just the the pace at which everybody moves and mo- like i think even more than the players the puck is always moving and it's always moving with uh with intention to another player tape like tape to tape passes everywhere and it seems like everybody knows where the, everyone is supposed to be and i feel like the hawks don't ever do that like they're not only do they not have the most speedy team in the nhl they don't play fast either and those are two different things and the hawks don't do either of them yeah, it's kind of like watching NASCAR or something like that versus watching people drive bumper cars. <laughs> it's like, uh, guys, what are we doing here? Is that 2010? No, mm-hmm. it's not. And actually, and, I, I, a lot, a lot of it springs from that defense too, because there's really only Seth Jones that knows how to like move the puck very well. Um, and are, are, weirdly, I think Calvin DeHaan might do it better than a lot of he's uh he does he's he's better with safe passes and safe types of things than the others who sometimes just kind of throw things Jake McCabe kind of just throws things Caleb Jones was like okay you're gonna sit Gustafson I think I will now be 
I will take over all of his. I can't give create his own. I will now be the king of shit. <laughs> I, 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 I will now be giveaway king. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and- I said that after the Tampa game, and I think, uh, Betsy, I think you backed me up in the comments. I'm like, they really got to fix this blue line. And people are like, what are you talking about? There's there's somebody in the commenters that's very high on Caleb Jones. And I can kind of, I, I get it because he seems to have the physical capabilities, but I don't know if his brain isn't there or like he just, he doesn't think the game quick enough to like where he physically can be, but, or if he just hasn't been developed properly, which I mean, is very possible. He was with, with Edmonton and they haven't really developed a real defender either. Even nurse is having a blah season. Um, Edmonton so, having bad defensemen? The hell you say? Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> but I just I don't understand. There was the, the same person over and over and over again, and I'm like, what are you? What games are you watching? Yeah, and I, I think if any of us are entitled to anything in our our post game recaps, it's bitching about the blue line. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they yeah. make there's always the people that are like, but it was all on the goaltenders, and I was like. Look, I'm not trying to say that Lincoln was having a good game, though he has had a couple, or that Delia was having a good game. I'm saying that they're not great goalies, but their defense is just letting everybody walk in on them. Yeah, no, like, there's no shot suppression. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. I forget what planted it in my head, but uh, I, I had a momentary flashback earlier today to the, the 2014 Hawks-King series, which is like – uh, plenty of people called it like the best modern playoff hockey series they've ever seen at the time. And I think still probably is. And I, so I watched that 15, 10 to 15 minute clip in I think it was game five at the United center in overtime when there wasn't a whistle and there was just yeah. 10 to 15 minutes of completely uninterrupted hockey at a pace that is borderline unsustainable for 90% of the teams in the league at the time. And it was such good hockey. And I think the number one thing that I remembered from watching those two teams play compared to what the Hawks do now is the passes from defensemen to the forwards to get out of the zone. Those, those breakout passes do not exist anymore. It seems like whenever the Hawks need to get the puck out of the zone, it's a chip up the boards or, you know, just a dump out the center ice. Like there's no organized breakout. It's just like, hopefully we get out of the zone with this and they throw the puck up the ice and we'll see what happens. Well, and and if I'm not mistaken, Hanzu scored the game winner in that game, right? Yes. And, and we were bitching about him not being able to skate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, again, there, there's perfect example know. of a player who couldn't skate very well, but was really smart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there, yeah there absolutely. Was a, there was a way to play fast to make up for the, uh, for an inability to skate fast. And uh, it, part of that is being in a system that, um, you know, that where everything kind of clicks together. Um but we're gonna we're gonna do some more reminiscing in a little bit based on some news that uh, came up earlier today. But before we do all that, we got some prospect talk we wanted to get into. So we're gonna take a quick break, come back on the other side of this timeout, and we're gonna dive into all of that. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. As promised before the break, we wanted to get into a little bit of prospect talk. If you were at secondcityhockey.com at all on, what is today, Tuesday? It's Tuesday. Uh, And if you're there on Wednesday or Thursday, it's probably still going to be up on the page. Uh, Betsy wrote another lengthy prospect update. 
going all over the hockey world, talking about every Blackhawks prospect you could possibly hope to read about. And so uh, kind of ties into the news that broke within the last few hours that the Blackhawks called up Lucas Reichel again, which seems like kind of weird timing, but whatever. Uh, anyway, we're going to let Betsy go because she wrote a ton about all these prospects. And so uh, if there was two or three that stood out to you or ones that you were really interesting in your research, uh, feel free to share with the rest of the class. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about obviously Reichel and I went on like a nice thing about our, the two top goalie prospects in Comesso and Soderblom. And I've raved about Wyatt Kaiser and uh, Slaggart in the past as well. And Kaiser especially got a lot of attention for this kind of ridiculous, like full length goal that he did during uh, one of the frozen four games, Mm -hmm. but we've talked about them a lot. So I thought I would, touch on three guys that aren't brought up as much. One of them is in Rockford and it's Andre. Um, Alti Barmakian. Yes. Alti Barmakian. I'm never going to just, just call him all. I th- and I, I probably said it wrong, but I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's Alti Barmakian. Yeah. yeah. Alti. I'm always gonna we'll just call him Alti. Either way. So we keep talking about how, and by like we, I also mean like the coaching staff, they talk about how they like the prototype of Hegel. They keep talking about players that could be Hegel-like and they keep looking at guys like, I feel, I feel like I'm like harping on him, but like Reese Johnson types, but all, I'm not going to say his Alti. We're going to call him Alti. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Um, I feel like he, I don't think he would ever be as offensive as Hegel, but he's in that same vein. That's actually being developed properly. Okay, like Mm -hmm. he's actually being taught to play in a style that is tenacious, hardworking, high energy, and that is honing all three of those things into offense and defense, but mostly offense lately because he's been paired with Reichel a lot. And Mm -hmm. he does a lot of the grunt work on that line for Reichel. Like it is a perfect skill grunt work kind of uh, combination that works really well and it's a perfect example of why they should be like letting the kids marinate in the AHL more, because I think he would be a better solution maybe next year in a lower line for a role than a couple of the guys that are up right now. So I would love for him to get a chance. If you watch the ice hogs, he's always going and Mm -hmm. he's always doing it in a useful way. He's rarely doing it in a way that results poorly for the team. And I guess the the one counter or I not counter, but I guess follow-up question related to all that is that um like like Brandon Hagel, I, I feel like was, you know, he was obviously a very good player and contributed a lot. Now he's doing pretty well in Tampa, but like there was also I feel like a mild overrating of him. Like he's not like really a top six guy that on a good yeah. team he's probably in third or fourth line. So that's probably where Alti Barmakian ends up as well. Yeah, I think Depending on if he can actually translate his offense well enough, um, he could be a third line player. I think like the type of uh, Andrew Shaw before he really took off kind of player, you know, the, okay. the type of utility guy. He also does play in all situations. He's on the penalty kill. So um, a lot of the players down there are that probably won't ever play <laughs> penalty kill in the NHL, but still. And then um, I, I think you said Mike Hardman was the other one that was intriguing yeah. to you. Yeah. Hardman. So I wrote in my thing, I was like, he's very controversial because, and 
I think it's not really his fault. And same thing with Reese Johnson. I don't think it's really their fault that they get a lot of hate or dislike. It's because they were rushed to the NHL and they were completely unfinished products. So they were mm-hmm. like overcompensating by going really hard. But in those situations, they would always take themselves out of the play or do something really wrong. And you would be like, why are you doing that? And it's because they were just trying too hard. Um, I, Hardman has done like a pretty exceptional job in the AHL of like honing his, like being able to throw his body around properly. And mm-hmm. I never thought I'd say that. About, about he's got, that. he's got 26 points in 33 games. Like yeah, that's, that's not bad. No. And he does it. He's not paired with Reichel very like, that's the thing. Anybody who plays with Reichel tends to rack up some points. Hardman has not played with him very much. So he's doing it a lot by himself or on a line with, um, McLaughlin, um, who is a career AHLer and that kind of stuff, but he's working his butt off. And I think it's very interesting that I like, it's good for him because it's a good counterpoint again of let them go to the AHL and learn, like, you know, that they have capabilities that could be useful in the NHL, but if you throw them out there too soon, they're going to do what, what Hardman did his first couple of stints up with the Blackhawks, which is, I can't do anything. So I'm going to hit as hard as I can, or I'm going <laughs> to, you know, like I'm going to tackle this guy. And you're like, uh, no, all you're doing is. <laughs> I, I have a potential player comp for Mike Hardman. And it's mainly because I, I don't know if it's necessarily related to skill set. I think it's more based on size than that. Hardman's a big, a big power forward. And uh, this other player I'm thinking of is also a pretty big power forward. And that's Brian Bickle. Is that is that at all in the realm of uh, comparison I mean, or am I completely? So okay. you can Bickle, tell me I'm wrong. That's no, no. <laughs> it depends on. So Bickle had a really underrated shot. Um, yes, he did. And I don't think Hardman has that. Okay. Um, I think Hardman is a much more of a greasy goal kind of guy, and he likes to throw the puck towards the net and hope it goes in, and it does a lot of times. Um, but a lot of his work is that way, and I think. Bickle could do that and turn it on in the playoffs, but he also just had a really good shot when he was farther out. And I don't know if Hardman I, does it as I, well. I feel like I remember Hardman having like a handful of really good scoring chances in the NHL and missing the net by five feet every time. Yeah. Like he could get himself into the right place. He just, does, I don't know if he has the hands for it. Okay. Um, okay. But, but that's, I, you don't need everybody to have perfect hands, but right. I just, I don't know if he'll, tr- I don't know if he or um, Alti will ever be in the NHL again or whatever. I just, I think it's a perfect illustration of how the HL can help players that have obviously useful traits to their game kind of round them out. Yeah. If, if I think they uh, like for guys who are like future top liners, it seems like they don't spend much time in the AHL these days as they used to. Like if they're the idea is that if they're really, if they're going to be like top two lines, NHL players or top pairing defensemen, like just get them up to the NHL and and, and let them figure it out there. But you know, not every, you know, you need 12 forwards on every roster or every night. So the Detroit system works. If you let them marinate for long enough, somebody's going to come out fully cooked. Yeah. Shane, um, do, you, do you have any follow-up questions while we're uh, working our way through all this? Sounds what's like going on uh, with Arthur? What's going on with Arthur Kayamov? Oh, that's oh. that. Yeah, this this is the prospect update. But when you just when you thought like the Russian Ukraine stuff, like 
the the wide reaching arc of it. And Betsy, I'll let you go from there. <laughs> uh, so there's he supposedly wants to sign with the Blackhawks. There's a there's a Russian team that's interested in him and signing, but his contract has expired with um, Locomotive, and then he wants to come over, but. I don't think any talks have happened primarily because they've shut down KHL NHL talks because of everything, the sanctions against Russia. So who knows if that'll happen? Um, he actually hasn't had a very good, like, it's not like it's a bad season. It just hasn't been a great season for him. He's down in points. Um, last season, he was mostly playing on the second line. He got right. Re- he got regulated to the third for a lot of this. Um, some of that had to do with the, his team just got better top forwards, but um, I don't, he got healthy scratched a couple of times. Um, so if he's going to make the transition now is when he should do it. It's just, will it happen? Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I haven't really been that imp- I haven't watched a ton of his games, but the couple of cl- like clips and stuff of him, even when he's scoring, they're not really that impressive. Yeah. <laughs> like unlike last season where I was like, Oh yeah. Or the season before that. Um, so, I mean, you never know. He is one of the very few that has developed in a completely pro league with men. So maybe he could just step into the Blackhawks. You never know. And they need bodies. So Yeah. Let me uh, ask you a second follow-up question. Sure. Who, who do you think is going to be the shock? Like, oh, that's high for him on this year, on the, the summer's top 25 or 25. The shock. Uh, mm, maybe oh, Lipen. Yeah. yeah. Jalen Lipen. Um, I will rank him pretty highly. <laughs> Cause he's, he's got, you, I think you said he's got more points than any other Blackhawks prospect, he, right? He's got more, uh, and then Doc has a slightly higher, one of them's like 1.09 and one of them's 1.07, you know, points per game. Um, yeah, Lupin's and, at uh, 64 and 62 and Colton Doc's at 64 and 55 games. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but he's been so consistent and he's a seventh round pick and he's another player that oft gets compared to Brandon Hagel because of how he plays. Um, very tenacious on the four check, very, he's speedy. I don't think he's as quick as Hagel, but he's very speedy. Um, he's smaller than Hagel too, but he kind of plays like Debrinkit does in how he uses his, like, he's like, he uses his side to dart into between people, but he knows how to take, um, like a hit and roll with it kind of situation, physicality. So there's a lot of points in his game that, I think people would be excited about him. He's not going to be ready for a while. Like Mm -hmm. he's mostly untapped potential. He's pretty, he's still pretty raw. He does have better hands than Brandon Hagel though. His shot is supremely underrated for going in the seventh round. They often call him like sniping Lipen because that's, that's how you pronounce his name is not like it's, I always thought it was Lupin, but it's Lipen. Um, sniping Lipen. Um, that's, that's a really good nickname if he makes it to the NHL. That'd be pretty yeah, because cool. he will score from distances and through traffic and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty. That's pretty impressive considering um, where he was drafted. Yeah, my only, my only mild concern with the the players that you mentioned, and again, this isn't really like their fault, but like again, Brandon Hagel is, is a very good NHL player, and he might you know help Tampa win a Stanley Cup, but like having a few players in the 
a Brandon Hagel mold would be pretty cool. Also be really cool if they had a few players in like the yeah. Alex Brinkett mold and maybe yes. like the Patrick Kane mold. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's my only concern. Like, I hope, I hope, you know, I hope they're not trying to turn Lucas Reichel into Brandon Hagel because. No, and I don't think they are because they let him do. They, you can see as the season has progressed, how much more confident he's getting. And they pretty much let Reichel do what he wants to do in the offensive zone. It looks like they just unleashed him. Um, because he'll go through players or around them. I don't know how many times he'll pass through a player and it's like, Oh, that's so shocking. And it's like, it's cause he has the skills to do it. Um, hopefully that will translate. Obviously the speed is different in the AHL and NHL, but hopefully that type of stuff can, can translate. Um, I don't need it to be quite as like show stopping as it has been in the AHL, just as long as it's as efficient. Um, but that's the one the Blackhawks have, some prospects that could surprise. I, I think they have some guys that could turn into gems right now. They're still Cole. Maybe they could be a diamond later. I don't know. They need to <laughs> really, really put emphasis on the development process. Big geology. Yeah. Is here today. <laughs> I'm going to guess. Um, I'm going to guess, especially in terms of uh, centers. Cause one, one person I, I haven't heard you compare anybody to that I would like, would have liked to, is Jonathan Taves like old Jonathan Taves? No, well, there's like, that's nobody. A very, that's still a very yeah, that's still a very useful. There's not. I mean, there's a couple of on there. there's a couple of guys that I think are very Kruger like, but bigger. Um, the little Russian kid. Oh my god, I'm never going to pronounce his Sternborg? name. Sternborg. No, he's that's a Swedish guy, but yes, he is also one of them. Um, it's Ilya, whatever his. It oh, Sof- Safanov. Yeah, okay. both of them are excellent excellent defensively um for especially for their age they look awesome um and they do the same things that Kruger did very well in that defensive way good you know good reactions but also they could they can transition the puck they skate well Mm -hmm. um and they both have pretty strong or high, high hockey IQ so I think they read situations very well um and both of them played a majority of their time in the upper leagues um, KHL and SHL. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't know. Those are the, those are the types of players where you're like, yeah, you could totally see them being useful later on, but where they'll end up is probably still a lower line forward yeah. role. You're looking at like a four, like a really good fourth line role. Like every team needs that, but the Blackhawks cupboard is full of guys who could potentially be like a second to fourth line, but they only have one and that's Reichel that is, has the potential to be a top line guy. And and I, and and, and I think that kind of crystallizes the entire problem. Why, why, why they're talking rebuild because they don't have like, uh, you know, like all all these numbers you're mentioning for, for Lipin and Colton doc, like they're, they're having very good seasons, but um, like if you go back to like Alex Debrinkit's numbers in the OHL, yeah, I know he was playing with Connor McDavid and Dylan Strom, but he had like three three seasons with a hundred points or more, and and Kane was like in triple digits every season, yeah. and, and Taves was well, Taves was in uh, college, but like it seemed like uh, you know even like I think like Dave Boland had like a hundred and thirty point season with the London Knights at one point, so it's just it's like. You know, like all these third and fourth liners are nice. Don't get me wrong. They're not bad to have. You need a full roster. But uh, the reason why they're kind of talking this rebuild situation is because they don't have the top end guys that they're going to need in the future. 
So. Yeah, because if you if you just look at the roster right now and you're looking at four, uh, like top six guys, you have Kane, Dorinkit, Strom, and maybe Radish, and maybe Taves if he's still here. But is I don't know if Taves is really still a top top six yeah. player. And also, like I, um, uh, yeah, it's and like I I feel like closer to third, like a good third line center. Yeah, and point. on top of that, every single play, uh, those other four are all offense oriented guys. So yeah. you don't really have a sod or a sharp who's at least two way or a Hosa of any kind. Now, I don't think anybody's ever going to find a Hosa again, but there's nothing in that mold. Uh, mm. The Blackhawks. I don't think the, <laughs> there's so far. They, Stone they exist. Is the only, yeah, I was going yes. to say, is say the only guy don't, that's come don't. close to what Hosa would do and still needs to th- and still needs to get in a car and drive several hours to catch more into the world of Marion Hosa. So <laughs> did I say, okay, I love, I love both of them. <laughs> Mark, Stone, Mark Stone might be closer than you think. It might've just been underrated. Most of his career. Cause he played in Ottawa. Marion Hosa played in Atlanta. <laughs> where he played with he Ilya played Kovalchuk. In, he played in Ottawa. Where he played with Ilya Kovalchuk. There was right. plenty of talent in Atlanta. I, I, I don't think you can make the argument, the same argument for Ottawa. It was mm. Stone and Carlson. Ottawa had really a couple. Of, Ottawa had Alfie and they had, uh, they had a couple guys. Mark, Marty Havlat pre-Blackhawks, too. Mach 9. Didn't they have, it was, uh, it was Hart, was it, I don't know if Post was still around, but it was Alfredson, Heatley, and... Oh, oh 50 and 07. The pizza line? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Well, Hosa talk is just turning into monotheism lecture, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Before we get back to the the monotheism talk of Marion Hosa, (laughs) were there any other prospects that we we should have an eye on, or did we get them all? Uh, The only other one I was going to mention that I think could surprise is Ethan Delmastro. Um. Mm. I don't know why. I just really like watching him play. I think he's really smart. Um, he's not that physical for how big he is, um, but he's he. It doesn't have to be because he just is good at he's good at pickpocketing. Um, he's excellent at uh, breaking up passes with his stick. Um, he's got great positioning for his age. He's got a good solid foundation. So I was can surprised at how much. Huh? Can he skate? He can. He's a good skater. <sighs> I don't think he's like the best skater, but he's pretty damn good. I liked him a lot more than I thought I would after the initial draft. I was like, okay, he's not bad. But watching him this season, he also has always been mostly a defense first shutdown type of guy. And this season he's been put into offensive situations and his good hands on defense has translated pretty well to good hands on offense. So I, I will take a Nick Hague in a heartbeat. I, yeah, I, just, I just want to plant my flag while we're here because I swear I yeah. I said this before. I don't know who's pro I don't know uh who wrote it. Somebody wrote a really good scouting report. And I, I wish I could give that person credit because I read that scouting report and thought, this sounds like a like a like a everything that you would want an NHL defenseman to be. And uh so I, I'm yeah. Planting my flag in the Ethan Del Maestro camp, and if he ends up being good, uh, I will take all of the credit in the world as undeniable evidence of my hockey knowledge. Yeah, I thought he should have, like, he ended up going around four, and I thought he was probably going to be a second rounder. So I was excited that he fell um, and the Blackhawks picked him up because there were some picks that draft that I was like, okay. Um, 
and, and they reached for a couple of players, but is is one of their names my my favorite Scottish son Tay Tardic? <laughs> I just didn't know. I didn't know enough about him. I'll, yeah. I literally remember my notes on him was he's tall. He's six like, seven, six seven, six eight. He's a very big. He he's and um, Louis uh, Crevier, however you say, because of French. Um, Crevier. Those guys are really, oui, really oui. tall. Very very tall. <laughs> Is that is that, the, is that how you say that in French? Very tall. Very tall. Yes, that's exactly. Uh, I've learned all of my French in the last week from Stacy King. So, <laughs> well, very very well done, Mill. Um, all right, you, while we're talking about European things, uh, Marion Hosa is going to sign a one day contract and retire as a Blackhawk on Thursday, and um, I'm just like. It, it was cool to have Marion Hosa back in our lives for this, like when he showed up on Sunday, like I, there's just, there's so many players from that era that are so beloved, but there's Marion Hosa is just like slightly above them. And I, I don't know what it is about Hosa, but he just has an aura and a presence about him that everybody seems to really appreciate. So uh, if, any, yeah. if anybody else wants to talk about Marion Hosa for a little bit, uh, now's a good time to do it. While we can't. Gotta love a guy that retires after being inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's only Hosa could. Yeah. As only Hosa could. Uh, only Hosa should be allowed to do that. They should close that loophole now and there will forever be known as the Hosa. Among Wait, the I, I only have one Dur- Thrasher's jersey and it's Hosa's. Yeah. Has Roma Ginla officially retired? Because like if not, maybe it's, it's the Ginla and Hosa close. I, uh, I think I, gave him, I think he is because they had a celebration for him at the Flames a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. I, I do remember uh, Yerome again on night on on Twitter where there was a lot of uh, again list stuff. That was the guy. I remember one of the years, one of the Hawks Cup years. There was like rumors that the Hawks were going to get him and take him to. The, oh, I wanted they, they, him so bad. They were going to Raymond Bork him, and it didn't. It didn't turn out working. That uh, I don't know where he ended up that year. Was that? I believe that was the. I believe that was the Pittsburgh gear. Pittsburgh. And the yeah, it's two thousand fifteen. Yeah, the Blackhawks. Wait, was that? No, that was twenty fifteen. I was going to say they. I think the Blackhawks chose Kimo Tim and then over him. No, the Blackhawks. From what I remember from those reports was that he, the Blackhawks were on his short list for three, but then he had narrowed it down to two, and Boston had the best package by far. And then mm-hmm. Ignelia was like, "I want to go to Pittsburgh and play with." And that like destroyed the package because Pittsburgh was like, cool, we're just gonna give you this shit. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's he leftovers did. for one of the best players to ever play. Yeah. In the like court. the Hawks didn't, if I remember in 13, like they didn't add anybody that year at the deadline, I don't think. Like they just Yeah, and of, they weren't I bet they weren't offering well, either because they, they didn't. They added a buttload of new fans at the deadline. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I mean, obviously they they won the cup that year, so they weren't wrong. But yeah, well, Pittsburgh was really hot in that second half. I think you guys probably remember how they won like thirteen in a row or something crazy, um, and then they ended up getting shelled by Boston in the conference final. But Pittsburgh was fucking good that year too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that short sprint of a season was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that because it was the uh, the combination of for a while worrying that there wasn't going to be any hockey to the Blackhawks, not losing for literally half of the season or not losing regulation. It was the coldest home opener I ever went to. It it went from zero to like 170 overnight. So that's a, that was a fun year. And and Marion Hosa was a central figure in all that. 
So well, what are you saying, Betsy? I was gonna say, who's the next player that's gonna? Is it Seabrook that in a couple in a few years he'll get a one day yes. contract with Blackhawks? Yeah, because yeah. uh, right now he's officially a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, how many years does, does Keith he get a ring? Left? Is Keith gonna with... keep playing? Oh yeah, well yeah, Duncan Keith is one. Uh, Seabrook's contract does not expire until twenty twenty four. So Holy we're going to have to wait a few more years for that. Yeah. Duncan Keith is under contract until 2023. So uh, he might, like, he might still like play. He might play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, he's freak of nature. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I guess Seabrook might be the next one because Keith might still be playing and they might have to do the Brent Seabrook night against uh, whatever team Duncan Keith is playing for at that time. Yeah. So they're, so they're well, both around for it. I wonder if Duncan Keith will do it. Cause like Jalmerson didn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah well, but to be fair, like Duncan Keith, if they ask him to, he's like the best player they've had in a long time. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, he, it depends like, on how much he plays at another team, maybe. Yeah. But I is think Yel- his, his jersey is going to get retired. The other thing is, is, is Yelmerson officially retired or is he playing in the SHL? I assume he's I retired because yeah, I, don't he, think I he's mean, playing. he was at, he was at a couple Hawks games this year. So I don't, if he, if he was playing in Sweden, he would. He be, was definitely uh, not playing in Sweden. I have never, I haven't seen him. At yeah, all. he he retired uh, last July. At least that's what Wikipedia said. So yeah, I was like, he had like an official. I'm done. I, he actually said the R yeah. word versus like Seabrook that didn't. Yes, I I feel like uh, I I think I remember that video. Or there there was some formal Yo, acknowledgement of the retirement from him. Dead ass. What if Ryan McDonough's still hurt and they just dress Seabrook in the playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> I would laugh that so would be, hard. Well, you know, I mean, if they do it in the postseason, like the LTIR thing, like it would be, it so wouldn't be saying. a problem. Yeah. John Cooper's nacho bar. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's this guy away from Hosa in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Well, every, every time we say, like, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of players to talk about from, uh, from, from the glory days. As Simply a, put, Hosa though, and you, you guys will all know this. But people who kind of were getting into hockey but didn't really know, like I don't think you could explain to him besides just say he's so good. Yeah. Like I, the weird thing is, he was my first favorite player. It's not a bad one. I to don't have. know. I good I stuff. can't explain. I, I cannot explain said, why. You set right. the bar. Set the bar way too high. I, I started with uh, Eric Daze, who was good but isn't in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, you know what's weird though is like. I was really upset, not because of getting a host. I was stoked, but that he basically replaced Havlat. Yes. And many of us who were kind of like weird gremlins who lived under the United Center, we were super like into Marty Havlat. And then it's just like, hey, you're getting like an upgrade that's 5,000 times better. I and yeah, and I yeah. don't think I fully understood how good he was until you got to watch him every night. Like, I mean, his it, first it, game against like, Jose. Oh yeah, that was. Whew. Oh like, man, like, there's the a reason they call the guy like that. Some people call the guy like the best player to never win the selfie. Yeah, the, he was yeah, he, insane because they only give it to centers for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the the one the one play. If I go you know full hipster mode with Marion Hosa memories, like obviously they're like the goal against Nashville in overtime in Game Five and. uh you know, the, when, the, when Doc yelled Kane. Yeah. Yeah. The one, <laughs> yes. But the one, the one goal that he didn't even score the goal, but when uh, it was partially because I was in the building that night. So uh, there, there's some bias here, but against Vancouver in 2011 in game six, 
Ben Smith scored the game-winning goal off a rebound, a point shot from Jalmerson. The only reason that goal happened, Marion Hosa skated up the skated into the zone with the puck up the left boards, got down to about the goal line, and came all the way back up with the puck with like two or three Canucks all over him, and he was in the zone by himself while the rest of his teammates were changing. And I think Pat Foley said two or three times, Hosa still has the puck, and eventually <laughs> he gave it to Jalmerson. Jalmerson shot, rebound goal. Uh, just that that particular play was just Marion Hosa of uh, I have the puck and you cannot have it. And I am Marion Hosa and you are not uh, yeah. that that I think like that play was kind of indicative of just everything that Marion Hosa was. And in, uh, in 16, Mary, I was like, Mary, no. there for. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was say I was there for his 500th goal, which was kind of crazy. Obviously, not all of them were Hawks goals, but. That was kind of cool to see in person because the last guy to score 500 for the Haw- in, in a Hawks jersey, I think, was uh, Peter Bondra. Bondra, right? yeah, yeah. Bondra, and he yeah. uh, he only scored like four goals as a Hawk. Yeah, uh, Shay, what were you gonna say? So Hosa was like the def- going back to that Vancouver. Remember, he was the definition of a guy who was gonna take the puck away from you, and you were not gonna take it away from him. And that remember- that that moment when like Datsuk took yes, the puck away that's from that's exactly Hosa what and, I was going and, to, and immediately, immediately Hosa went and got it back. He's yeah. like, no, you don't get to take this puck away. That me. was so, yeah. That was one of the best. Like, just it was like a totally meaningless regular season game. Like, I, I think I don't, I don't think it was a postseason or anything like that. Kind of a throwaway game in in January or February, and that just one little highlight of those two players, like doing the things that they do better than anybody, uh, was that was yeah. I as soon as you started talking, I knew exactly where you were going because that play is forever etched into my mind. And I think the the other thing about Hosa is that at the age of 38, when he had to step away from the game, I think he was 38, right? Yeah, 38. Uh, the Hawks not having him in the lineup was a substantial loss. And like you can kind oh, of track like loss. the beginning of like the downward trend for this team when Marion Hosa couldn't come back and play. Yeah, anymore. everybody, every other fan, you know, fandom was like. That's their t- they're just, you know, just this mysterious illness to take him out right when they need it. It's like, no, no, no. The Blackhawks needed Hosa. Yeah. He they scored didn't need 26, He scored 26 goals that season. He was fifth on the team with 45 points. Like he was he, he made was the five little, he, he made like five and a half million. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he made like five and a half million. That was nothing. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, he he that was in the area of the cap circumventing uh d- uh decade-long contracts. I mean, we kind of knew when he signed, like, LTIR retirement was yeah. likely. Yeah. No, we didn't know how. It but... wasn't like Rick DiPietro bad, but it was up there. Well, Rick DiPietro, the thing is, he sucked. <laughs> and, like, Marion Hosa is, like, one of the greatest players ever. So yeah. get that shit out of here. <laughs> also, Hosa was training up until right before it was announced that he wasn't going, that's why there was, it was like some shock. People were like, but he was just training. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, because he was still trying to decide if he could go through the pain of, and the drugs of having to deal with that whole condition he had. So I, I don't, in terms of like besmirching the Blackhawks name, I didn't care about that, but I was always like, how dare you think that Hosa would retire just for Caffrey. Uh, he does what yeah. he wants. I mean, like, yeah. is he like a shoot fighter now? Like, doesn't he fight or something? He's training to fight. What? I I hope not. I read I something about that. But I don't know. I, I just you know, I want him to come to the Blackhawks and teach teach. Yeah, there was a reason that like uh, Hosa uh, like 
when he retired, that's or, or not officially retired, but like left the game. That that's one. That's the summer that Blackhawks went out and got sod, and that had to be a reason that like Mini Hosta was the closest thing we were going to the Blackhawks were going to get. Yeah, and uh, and and no slouch to sod or no slight to sod because you know there was only one Marion Hosta, but he's he, even Mini Hosta wasn't quite a, a a good enough replacement for what the actual the demigod was. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it'll be in, in the building on Thursday, and that's uh that'll be cool just to have have Marinhos around for a little bit, and then he'll go back to his castle in Slovakia and rule as uh, uh supreme whatever it is and whatever the title is in Slovakia that I'm sure the country bestowed upon him for being everything that he is. I just see him as kind of looking like Magneto. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Victor Von Doom. No. Well, we were going to get into a food take, but we're kind of running out of time. So I think we're just going to wrap this all up because I think talking about Marion Hosa for the last 10 minutes is a perfect way to end this episode. Uh, so let's do that. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of Musings on Madison. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DML57. Mill is at Mill182. Uh, Shepard's on Twitter at Shepard Price. Betsy's not on Twitter, but you can find her at secondcityhockey.com under the name LBR. Uh, we'll keep the games come pretty uh pretty fast and furious the last three weeks i think there's like the last 11 games are in 20 days so we're gonna have a lot of previews and recaps and everything else for the rest of the season and then when it's all done we'll probably come here for an irish wake to be so glad that this godforsaken season is over with and maybe the future holds something better for everybody involved um but until then i guess we will talk to you next week and see you then <laughs>